0: The first thing we need to improve any area of our life is awareness. You know, for those listening right now, taking notes, write this down. You will never improve something you're unaware of. Uh, You'll never improve something you're oblivious to, which means awareness is always the first step to improvement.
1: Hey, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to another episode of the show. Hope you've had an amazing New Year's celebration, and we are kicking off 2024 with some epic stuff here at the Chase Drivers Live Show, starting with this great episode with Alan Stein, Jr. Now, Alan is a renowned expert in leadership and performance with a background as a coach, specifically a coach in basketball, where he's worked with many of the absolute greats, including Kobe Bryant, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, to name a few. Now, Alan has parlayed his skill set into the business and the leadership and the peak performance world, where today he also works with all kinds of amazing entrepreneurs and the folks that you think he would be working with, right? We talk in this episode about mindset, about the habits that underpin greatness, about what are the actual mental habits and the framework specifically of elite athletes, elite performers in business, sport, everything you can imagine. And a very important category, self-talk, how to be present and why having a coach, for example, either in real life or virtual is really valuable for anything you wanna get better at. So this episode was really helpful for me as a lifelong athlete. Um, It was like therapy for me, hence I jestingly referred to him as my doctor in the episode. But again, I guarantee this episode's gonna add some value. I hope you enjoy it. Yours truly and Alan Stein Jr. All right, Dr. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here.
0: Oh, it's fantastic to be with you, Chase. I'm excited for a fun conversation, my friend.
1: Sweet. Well, for the handful of folks in our audience who may not be familiar with you or your work, I'm hoping if you can start out by by uh, introducing a little bit of what you focus on, your background, how you how you um, show up in the world, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I have the humility to know it's probably more than a handful that are unfamiliar with me and my work, and I am totally fine with that. That's why I get excited for opportunities like this to, to meet new people and share my message with a, a new audience. Um, Sweet. Professionally speaking, uh, I spent most of my career as a basketball performance coach, and that all stemmed from my original love of basketball, which was my first identifiable passion. And and I vividly remember falling in love with the game at five years old. And I'm so thankful that here, four decades plus later, (laughs) basketball is still really meaningful to me. And uh, I spent the first portion of my life as a very dedicated basketball player, uh, was able to play collegiately at a small school, Elon College now Elon University down in North Carolina. And while I was at Elon, I started to develop an equal love for the training side of the game, for the the strength, conditioning, the fitness, the nutrition, the mindset. So when I graduated from Elon in the late 90s, I figured what could be better than combining my first love of basketball with this newfound love of performance training. And I decided to become a basketball performance coach. And I was able to do that for just under 20 years uh, I chose to specialize mostly at the high school level because that's where I felt I could make the biggest impact uh, on their lives, not just on the court, but most importantly, off the court. Uh, but I was able to work at two very renowned programs here in the Washington, D.C. area where I still reside. Uh, and those two programs have put over two dozen players in the NBA. So being able to work with such notable high school players, uh, that got me some contract work with Nike and Jordan Brand and USA Basketball. And I had an opportunity to work with some of the best players in the game and guys like Kobe and Steph Curry and LeBron James and Kevin Durant. Uh, And then the latest iteration in 2017, I decided to leave the training space and leave the basketball world and take everything I'd learned and apply it to a corporate keynote speaking career, which is what I currently do. And and having an absolute blast uh, teaching executives, entrepreneurs, uh, you know, managers, supervisors, sales professionals, how they can utilize the exact same mindsets, disciplines, and routines as world class athletes, and show them how to apply that stuff to their business. So I think I went over your ninety second mark, but that's kind of me in a synopsis.
1: <laughs> Bring it! I love it! I love it. Well, uh, I guess for the folks who are listening and watching right now, they know immediately having heard you articulate your your version. I mean, I've got your bio and your CV. You know, we recorded introductory or an introduction separate. Uh, they know now why you're on the show because basically you the Venn diagram that you described is a similar to my own set of passions. You know, thought of my first identity was really as an athlete. And the there's so many principles that translate from that world of sports to the world of entrepreneurship. And you know, we like to underscore sort of peak performance here on the show. What makes each of us uniquely qualified to be the best versions of ourselves and to Accomplish things that we didn't think was was possible. Um, specifically, I'm hoping to start out in this passion area because for anyone who's listening, whatever their passion is, they either have one or are reluctant to recognize the one that they that that is dominating their mind, their headspace, their life, uh, or there's something that they're called to that they're not basically orienting towards. So I'm wondering, you talked about finding basketball as an early passion and you get to see this in other folks that you've coached i'm wondering is there a mystery to identifying passion it seems like we're either reluctant to sign on or if we are they tend to be things that people in the the professional world will eschew or frown on because oh how are you going to make a living doing that for example as a high performance basketball coach and yet you end up working with the best people in the whole world. So I want you to orient us a little bit around your journey, tracking your passion, what you see in others, how they, you know, how this word passion trips us up and how we often get talked out of pursuing them because we think it's not, for somehow, some reason not practical.
0: Well, I'm I'm so excited that you pulled on that thread to get us started. I actually think passion is only half of the equation. And uh, to this day, and I'm almost 50 years old, I still believe the single best piece of advice I ever received, I was fortunate enough to receive when I was in middle school. And I had a middle school coach say that the the key to high performance, the key to achievement, the key to success, the key to real enjoyment and fulfillment is finding something you're passionate about, but also finding something you're naturally pretty good at, and then finding where those two things intersect. So it's finding something you love to do, finding something you have some natural talent for, and then find where those two points crisscross. And that's called your strength zone. And the more time you can invest in working on your strength zone and working in your strength zone, once again, the higher you'll perform and the more fulfilled you'll feel. And I followed that, that, that mantra, if you will, for my entire life. I mean, you know, again, as I said, when I was younger, uh, I had a passion for the game of basketball and I was a decent enough player to play in the high school and college level. So that was where my intersection was. But when I realized that I didn't have what it took to play the game professionally, then, then the talent part was starting to run dim. Then I had to figure out all right, what's another passion and talent? And that's where the performance coaching came in. Uh, thankfully, I've, I've had some natural gifts and affinities for communication and motivation and being able to teach. So I was still staying true to that intersection. And then now in my current iteration of corporate keynote speaking, it's something I'm incredibly passionate about, find a tremendous amount of purpose in. And because I've worked on my communication skills and stage speaking skills, I'm fairly decent at it, so to me, passion is part of it. But you also need to find something that that you have some affinity for, a natural talent. And, and if you have something you're passionate about, but maybe don't have natural world class talent, that can and still should be a hobby. That can and still should be something that you pursue. It just might be more difficult to make that your your singular purpose or the thing that you're going to make your maximum contribution to the world in doing.
1: What about? Let's keep pulling on the thread. What What are some you know, attributes that you see in people who end up being world-class performers? Are there people who are the best in the world yet don't love what they're doing?
0: I would actually think they would be the exception. You know, certainly you're going, and basketball is an easy one. And you can see this at the youngest of ages. You can see someone who's very tall and athletic for their age, and everyone's kind of telling them they have to play basketball because they they passed the eyeball test but they really don't love the game or they don't love the work. And eventually that will run out. My guess is currently in the NBA, who which most people would agree are arguably the best 450 players on the planet. The percentage of those players that don't love the game of basketball is probably pretty small. Most of those guys have been able to get to that level, not only because they have natural talent, But they have the passion and the fire that actually stokes the flame that has them put in the work during the unseen hours to get to that level. See, if you don't have the passion, the chance of you being able to will yourself to put in the sacrifices and the hours required to be good in anything. I mean, it doesn't matter if we're talking about photography, podcast hosting, or basketball. In order to put in the requisite hours during the unseen hours to be world-class, you almost have to love it
1: well there's people out there right now who are saying i love it i think i'm good at it i and i don't know Mm. now the thing that i have historically pointed to is you know we've had other nba folks on the show before chris bosh for example detlef schrempf is a dear friend of mine he's been on the show many times and and there is a there seems to be a in I just pull from both of those previous shows that they have said like i was i was very passionate about it and my the skill set not necessarily that i had but i was willing to grow that skill set mm-hmm. to try and not succeed you know you've heard lots of stories michael jordan didn't make his high school basketball team for example so right now the the, the way i want to sort of map this onto our listeners and watchers right now is there's someone who's listening to the show and saying cool I have a passion for this I think I'm pretty good at it but I have no idea how my skill set stacks up with the rest of the world I'm wondering if you have some advice for folks like that
0: Oh I absolutely do and that, well there's there's kind of three areas we can look at <clears throat> you have kind of the raw materials which are the natural innate talents and gifts that each of us were born with. So, we also need to figure out where those align. Then, you've got the mindset, kind of your perspective and how you choose to approach the work. And then, you also have the skill set, the actual X's and O's of the specific craft. And, you know, skill set, something that none of us are born with, that's where we actually have to put in the work during the unseen hours to develop. You know, that's where a basketball player like a Chris Bosch. Uh, has to work on his handle and his jump shot and, and defense and things like that. And it's really a culmination of the three. It's it's our raw materials and talent. It's our mindset, our mental toughness, our approach, our ability to be in the present moment, our ability to focus, and then it's also our skill set, which is actually working on the very specific craft. Now, when it comes to the comparative game, we have to be very careful with that because you know if your goal is to play in the NBA then you absolutely need to know how you stack up in the world of basketball because there is a finite number of roster spots in the NBA. But if your goal is to be a world-class photographer, a world-class podcast host, a world-class speaker, it's not as finite. Like if you can prove to the marketplace that you've got the chops and you've got the goods to deliver, then you don't really have to worry about what anyone else is doing. Now, I understand the innate human desire to see where we stack up you know who who are some of the world-class photographers and podcast hosts and speakers that i want to use as my measuring stick and i think that's a a natural inclination i mean i know that, that i've got my own mount rushmore of keynote speakers who i think do a phenomenal job and i don't want to be them but on some level i want to have the same mastery of craft that they've developed over the last 15 to 20 years and i think that's a healthy way to use the comparative you know playing the comparison game we just have to be very careful not to when we're first starting out look at someone 20 years down the road and say wow i'm never going to be that good they're so much better than i am right now because you're comparing your present to where they are you know 20 years down the line a more accurate comparison would be where were they 20 years ago you know when they first started in photography podcast hosting or s- keynote speaking what level were they, and how does that compare to me now? Um, hard part is that's very hard to figure out.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, but I feel like what is embedded in your answer there is you can you can uh, experiment, you can you can watch most of these people in the world perform, yes. and the ability nowadays, especially with media being so prevalent for good or bad, right, uh, better or worse. Uh, we have the ability to see the work of others on display. And to me, there are, you know, a lot of this, uh, a friend of mine calls it compare Schlager, which is just like the worst, you know, I don't know if Goldschlager, if you've ever had alcohol, it's called Goldschlager. It's the horror, it's horrible. It's like the worst <laughs> yes, tasting. it is. It's garbage, right? It's like sugar water with like weird gold flakes and it's terrible. And so by extension, uh, my friend calls it Goldschlager, this, or compare Schlager, which is this, horrible thing to compare yourself to others however what i like that you said is you in those games where it is relative when there's a finite number of spots or in the you know on the open market uh where you're trying to again be a a, you know a photographer who makes a living in a life doing what you love or as your example is a podcast host or a keynote speaker You're, you're really comparing yourself with others, but there's an infinite number potentially of spots in the open market in the universe, but seeing what, you know, I have a a phrase that you can't be what you can't see. If you want to be absolutely world-class, then deconstructing the lives of other world-class performers is very valuable. It turns out you start to understand and develop a sort of a, an understanding of what it looks like to be the best in the world, what it looks like to dominate a game in the NBA or to uh, look if you're, we'll take the photography example. If you're, what do your pictures look like relative to the pictures that you see in the magazines or that your, your heroes or your heroes' heroes have taken? And to me, this is like, these are clues that are hiding in plain sight. And most people have a difficult time being real in comparing those things and, or are worried that, oh my gosh, I don't want to take pictures like this person or, you know, how am I, how, how do I uh, go about deconstructing the lives of other people? So specifically with your world, were there basketball coaches that you emulated? Do you read, you know, like Bobby Knight biographies or like, I know I was passionate about photography and deconstruct. I'd go to the magazine, and because I couldn't afford literally magazines, $5 a pop, I would sit at Barnes and Noble for hours and take notes and look at all these photographs of what what photographers and where they were going and what they were doing. I'm wondering if there's a an analog for you, and B, if you can then extrapolate this to how others might think about this, this sort of um dual aspect world, whereas it's sort of both good and bad to compare yourself to others?
0: Oh man, you just hit the nail on the head. It's, it's one of the advice, pieces of advice that I give either aspiring basketball performance coaches or aspiring keynote speakers. And that is kind of get crystal clear on the person who's doing what it is that you aspire to do. And, and these can be at different markers. This could be someone that's maybe only two or three years ahead of you, This could be someone that's two or three decades ahead of you, but you need to get crystal clear on the path that you're trying to forge and then learn from them, you know, and that's, as you just said, so brilliantly. And one of the reasons shows like this are so valuable is because we do now have more readily available information to, to learn from these greats and to deconstruct that Uh, I did follow a very similar path to you. And I spent many an hour in Barnes and Noble reading through magazines and books (laughs) and you hit it on the head. I mean, I had a list of coaches, that I wanted to learn from. And, and it, you know, I knew that I didn't want to be a basketball coach like a Bobby Knight or a coach K, but I wanted to be the same type of leader. I wanted to be able to same build the same type of culture. I wanted to have the same type of impact. Um, So those were the type of traits that I was trying to, to learn from. And, and I've always been a big believer in, you know, being fairly broad in that search. And then over time, you'll start to find your own voice. You know, when I was in early in my training days, I was kind of a cheap carbon copy of the coaches that I was emulating because I I hadn't found my voice yet. And then I did that again. When I became a keynote speaker, I I was kind of walking and talking and sounding like the keynote speakers that I most admired. And it took a little time for me to kind of shake some of that imposter syndrome and really focus on my voice and what I can bring to the table and and some of my unique perspectives. And uh, yeah, that's absolutely the process. And, and as you mentioned, there, there's no shortage of information in today's day and age between podcasts and YouTube and social media for us to do that deep dive. And, and I also recommend that that folks try and reach out personally. I mean, I have people DM me all the time saying, Alan, what do you recommend I do if I want to become a speaker or I want to get in the basketball space? And and I do remind them, well, don't do the things I'm doing now. You need to do the things I was doing five years ago when we were at about the same level. And I'm always happy to outline those things. Because so many people have, have helped me and have lended a hand to me. I always feel indebted, you know, to pay that forward and to help those coming up.
1: Well, you've done it in the form of a couple of books, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. But I'm I'm gonna keep pulling on this because there are um when we look around and we see models of um of People who seem to be living the lives that we aspire to live, or um it appears that someone out there has a similar set of values that we have. Uh the reality is it's it you don't actually know how they got there, right? You don't know because it's the the time, and you've said it a couple of times already. It's like the unseen hours or something like that 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 go in. And there is a belief, I believe, in modern culture that the that there are shortcuts that there are hacks that there are cheat codes if you will and because we don't actually get to see the process let's go back a thousand years we used to see you know steve our tribe mate would you'd see steve put in the hours to be the best punter of the group or something and you would see steve start out not being a very good hunter and then you would see him be a better hunter and a better hunter and then pretty soon it makes sense that steve is great because you've watched steve over 10 years become a great hunter this is a horrible analogy but follow me no, it's one.
0: pretty dead on
1: wow. uh, okay and then now now fast forward to the, the internet and you snap your fingers and you look in the instagram universe and there are potentially a. Uh, I mean, technically it's finite, but let's say there's virtually an infinite number of world-class performers that are on display. However, you did not get to see anything about their path, right? You just see them. I I went from not knowing Steph Curry to seeing Steph Curry in action, and he's the best in the world at shooting the basketball. So that's, that's pretty insane. And we, I, I can't help, but think that we are then completely displaced. We have completely unrealistic expectations of what it took to get there. So there are tens of thousands, you've heard Malcolm Gladwell say it, hours that have gone into crafting a peak performer, a world-class you know, athlete or uh, entrepreneur or creator. So this seems like it's wreaking havoc on our psychology. I'm wondering if you can just, you know, pick this apart a little bit, talk through in and or around it. Like, what do you see? What's some advice that you give when you don't actually know what it took to get there? You can still want it, but most of us don't know where to start or how to go about it.
0: Well, once again, you're so insightful and I'm glad you went in that direction because that is a major blind spot that we as a society have. And it's only propagated exponentially on social media. And it's actually one of the core themes of why I love my work and why I I hope my work is having an impact is because my goal is to give folks a peek behind that curtain. You know, you mentioned Steph Curry. You know, my goal is to let folks know, do you have any idea how many hours and how many millions of shots that young man has taken in empty gyms when no one is watching in order to earn the right to shoot the ball the way he does? You know, I, I haven't looked at the schedule today, but if the Warriors are playing tonight, and Steph drops 50 and hits 10 three-pointers the novice fan will look at that and they'll attribute some portion of that to luck they'll 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 you know they they won't have an understanding of what it took for him to be in the position to earn the right to do that and that's part of what i try and share whether it's on the basketball side or the business side some of the best entrepreneurs and executives and business leaders i've ever met spend a relentless amount of time in the unseen hours working on their craft and preparing and doing the due diligence required to be successful. And and that's what I try to shine a light on because so many people are already shining a light on the results and the outcomes and the finished product. And, you know, one of the, the signature stories I tell almost every time I'm on stage was the first time I met Kobe Bryant back in 2007. And I watched one of his really early morning workouts. And at that time, as a younger coach, I was really surprised that he was doing very basic drills. And when I had a chance to talk to him later that day at camp about it, he said something to me that changed my life forever. He said the reason he was the best player on the planet was because he never got bored with the basics. And my, the hairs on my neck still stand up every time I say that phrase because there's so much truth behind that and so much power. World-class performers have a strong respect and appreciation for the fundamentals, for the basics and they work on those things relentlessly almost to an obsessive degree during the unseen hours and they know that that level of mastery is what creates the foundation to which everything else is built and while the world class performers know that most of everyone else that's just watching on Instagram isn't aware of that and that's what i'm trying to do in my work is bring a level of awareness that these folks are not great by accident you know they're not great by luck they're great because what they're doing when we're not watching is what's setting the tone for what they do when millions of people are watching.
1: Well, I love this is so we're almost full circle already here. This idea that there's a this goes back to passion for me. This is the connective tissue. It's like you have to be so psyched with what you're doing that if you're Kobe Bryant, you are still practicing a really crisp bounce pass. You are still what spot on the rim am i looking at as i'm letting the ball go what finger is the last finger to touch the ball like all these things and you can imagine if you didn't have passion for something it would be difficult to appreciate all those little details and therefore difficult to practice these fundamentals that as you indicate are the things that make someone like kobe the best in the world at what they do an absolute obsession a, a uh, uh, there's you can't possibly be bored because you you love it so much. You have such an appreciation for the history, the fundamentals, and those sort of core attributes. Now, assuming that what you know that that's true, because we've already sort of hooked into the passion thing, I want to shift this this same sphere where we're talking about the basics, the fundamentals, and I want to latch on to a, a parallel. If the fundamentals are largely physical, I want to latch on to now the psychological mental world, because my experience talking to a lot of people like you and Kobe is that they have the same passion, intensity, uh, joy, willingness to embrace the mental side of the game with, with the same vigor. I'm wondering, you know, you've talked a lot about, you know, effective leadership about habits, mindset. Let's go in that direction now, and is there the same passion at that level uh, for the mental game, and what have you seen, and how do you coach people who maybe are slightly deficient in that area? What's the site that you set for them, and how do you go about it
0: yeah and 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 we absolutely need to focus on that. i mean one of the the cool parts is when you're looking at something that requires physicality, like playing in the NBA, then the physical component actually plays a huge role in that. I mean, the, the chances of being able to make the NBA if you're five foot two and not very athletic, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how much passion you have, that's going to be a pretty tall order. But the beautiful part is in almost every other area of our life, I'll keep going back to photography, podcast hosting, and keynote speaking, the physical component isn't near as heavily weighted this is where mindset can become the number one separator for the rest of us that are walking the earth. And, you know, from a mindset standpoint, um, I choose as my own operating system to to use what I call as a winner's mindset. And a winner's mindset is I wake up every day and make the commitment to myself that I'm just going to do the best I can with what I have, wherever I am, like full stop. I don't need to make it any more complicated than that. I'm a big believer that complexity undermines execution. So as you can see from the sign above my head, (laughs) I love to simplify (laughs) success and try and make things as as fluid and as basic as possible. But the reason I love do the best you can with what you have wherever you are as an operating system is it eliminates a trilogy of behaviors that I know from my own firsthand experience will undermine productivity, undermine performance, undermine enjoyment, and that's blaming, complaining, and making excuses. One of the areas of my life that I've really tried to improve over these last several years is to reduce my temptation of blaming, complaining, and making excuses. Um, I choose to use absolutes very sparingly, but I can promise you, Chase, and I can promise every one of your listeners and your viewers right now, you will never, ever improve your life, move yourself forward, or become the person you're capable of by blaming, complaining, and making excuses. It's simply an emotional weight vest that just holds you down. And if you can learn to untether from that and hold yourself fully responsible and accountable for everything, as Navy SEAL Jocko Willink says, have an attitude of extreme ownership. If you're willing to do that, it's like taking this emotional weight vest off. You become so much more emotionally agile. And one of the taglines I use on stage is if you're not emotionally agile, you're emotionally fragile. So the the key to having a winner's mindset is holding yourself fully responsible. Now, with that comes the acknowledgement. That you don't control most of what goes on in the world, but you absolutely control your response to what goes on. And to me, at the, the epicenter of having a winner's mindset is, is being way more concerned with having thoughtful uh, responses than we are about the actual circumstances. You know, if if we allow external circumstances and events and what people say and what people do, if we allow those things to dictate our attitude, our mindset, our perspective, and how we show up then we're going to be incredibly inconsistent because it's almost like we're a puppet and somebody else gets to pull the strings. I would much rather take the control back and say, I don't control what goes on, but I always control my response. And as a winning, having a winning mindset means I'm going to do the best I can to, to, to take, you know, and make sure my responses are thoughtful and make sure my responses are moving me, even if it's inch by inch, you know, closer to who I'm trying to become.
1: Mm. Mm. So tasty so we've talked there's I'm putting a pin in line, I'm taking some notes here while we're, while we're talking because there's a lot of ground that I want to cover. I want to go back to this unseen thing, right the unseen you shared the unseen physical workout concept around Kobe that he was practicing the fundamentals I you know gave a myriad of examples that may or may not be true doesn't matter, but I want to map that onto the unseen mindset effort that the world's best put in as a coach for these folks you see it and i'm wondering if you can talk about what are some of those attributes if you've got a story or something that we can, that'll help us relate to what are these unseen the, the mental effort that goes in in the unseen hours for the world's best that you've coached?
0: Well, the the one unifying factor is they've learned how to focus on the present moment. You know, there's other ways that we can say that, you know, we can say, be where your feet are, you know, which means wherever your physical is, make sure that's where your mental and your emotional is, is as well. But I'll unpack it even further. Uh, there's, there's three characteristics that I've seen world-class performers from basketball to business do as far as staying in the present moment. Uh, the first, they learn how to refocus their lens on the next play. Uh, The second is they refocus the lens on what they actually have control over. And third, they refocus the lens on the process. So I'll break each of those down briefly. And then you let me know if you want to expand. Uh, The first is next play. Um, And I use that terminology because of my history in basketball. You know, an elite level basketball doesn't worry about the shot they just missed or the turnover they just made or the referee's inability to make a call because they understand that play is now over. It's in the rearview mirror. It's behind me. It's unchangeable. And they know that any mental, physical, or emotional energy they waste on something that's in the past that can't be changed means they don't have that energy to invest in the present moment where they can still make a difference. So they've learned to quickly move to the next play. Of course, no player wants to miss a shot or turn the ball over, but they know that it's a part of the game. And when it happens, boom, they quickly refocus the lens on the next uh, positive action that they can take. So first is refocus the lens on the next play. The second is world-class performers understand that they need to refocus on what they have control over, which I'm a big believer really comes down to only two things, and that's our own personal effort and our own personal attitude. You know, they try to block out all of the other noise and distractions, and they focus on their effort and their attitude. Uh, Again, you know, it's they focus more on their response to what happens than they do to what's actually happening. And then the third component we've kind of touched on a little bit, but I think it's important to double click on, is they refocus the lens on the process. They, they, they're crystal clear in their goals. They know what it is that they're pursuing, who they're trying to become, and, and what they're going after, whether it's individually or organizationally. But then they take their eyes off of that North Star, and they put it on the road right in front of them. And they figure out, what can I do today that moves me a little bit closer to that goal? What can I do this hour or this quarter or this month? They're very process oriented. Uh, The best analogy I can think of, Chase, is if you were ever asked to build a brick wall, don't worry so much about the wall. Put most of your focus in the bricks. Put most of your focus on laying each brick exactly where it needs to go. Because if you can have the care and the precision and the discipline to lay each brick where it needs to go, the wall will just take care of itself. Now, you still need to have a general idea of how high the wall needs to be, how long it needs to be, and so forth, but but that's kind of on the macro. The juice is in the micro. The juice is in the reps. The juice is in the laying of each brick, and, and that's the same thing with, with high performers in any area of life. They get crystal clear on the process that's required, the, the daily decisions, the habits, the, the micro steps and skills that are needed. To get where they need to go, and and I've seen this, like I said, in basketball with players like Steph Curry. I've seen this with elite level sales professionals. You know the the, the men and women that that are the number one sales professional at their organization. They understand, you know, if their goal is to sell a, a hundred widgets in a year, that they can't sell a hundred at once. They got to focus one widget at a time, and they focus on the due diligence and the preparation and the proposals and the relationships required to sell that first widget. And then the moment they do. They move to the next play and say, all right, how can I sell the next one? So it's, it's all about being process oriented. And if you can focus or refocus on the next play on controlling the controllables and on the process, then you're building a framework to be an elite performer in whatever your, your chosen field or vocation is.
1: This is, I'm scratching at this one level deeper now that is, that makes perfect sense. Again, I'm, I've picked up a lot of this from your books and other talks that you've given and whatnot. So this is, uh, it's jiving with what I know to be true about you. And one of the reasons I was very excited to have you as a guest, uh, and the folks who are a lot of people right now have pulled over in their car as they're driving, or they are, uh, they're taking notes on their phone. Cause this is the kind of detail I want to get into. And I want to go one level deeper. Please. So this focus on the present moment, refocusing on the next play, what you can control, uh, the process, what are some exercises? Because people don't go from not being able to focus on the present moment to being able to focus on the present moment. That is a skill that we are not taught largely in life. So what are some things, some either exercises or can you tell us a story about what what activities one ought to be doing or how one ought to be thinking, what actions one ought to be undertaking to become better at focusing in the present moment.
0: Well, this is why you're world-class at what you do, man, because you always go one level deeper. And I I really admire and respect and appreciate that about you. And I'm so glad that you wanted to go in this direction. Um, The first thing we need to improve any area of our life is awareness. You know, for those listening right now, taking notes, write this down. You will never improve something you're unaware of. Uh, You'll never improve something you're oblivious to, which means awareness is always the first step to improvement. And the reason this is you know, uh, uh, applicable to what we're talking about now is the first step to improving your focus is having an awareness of when you're unfocused, is having a conscious awareness of when your mind wanders or when you're distracted or when you find yourself emotionally charged because, as you said, someone just cut you off. And the best thing we can do in those moments is, is exercise a little bit of patience, take a beat, take a breath. Don't believe that you have to emotionally set to any default, but that you can actually bear, be very conscious and thoughtful in how you choose to respond. And with that, the acronym that I learned from Lou Holtz, the Hall of Fame football coach at Notre Dame, uh, this is something I stole from him two decades ago, is the acronym WIN, W I N, and it stands for What's Important Now. This is the recalibration exercise I use in my own life, and I do this dozens and dozens of times a day, Chase. I ask myself, what's important now? I take a breath, I take a beat, and I ask myself, am I choosing to place my attention in what I believe is most deserving of it in this moment? I'm going to say it again because it's that important. Am I choosing to place my attention in what I believe is most deserving of it in, in this moment? Right now, without question, having a great conversation with you and adding value to your audience is the most important thing to me at this moment. So you have my undivided attention. I don't have any other browsers open. I don't have my phone is actually in the other room. I don't have a TV on. I have nothing going on. And these are systems I've put in place to reduce the temptation that I'll get distracted so that you'll have my full undivided attention. And if we can set those types of systems up uh, at different areas in our lives, it, it helps us to remain more focused. And then when we have an awareness of when we're unfocused, which still happens all of the time. I mean, this is something I am so consciously aware of and have been working on for years and years, and I'm still not coming from a place of mastery. Being in the present moment is arguably the biggest challenge I face every day, because like all of your listeners and viewers right now, there are so many things vying for our attention, most of which are on those devices that most people choose to be tethered to 24-7. So we have to learn how to put different systems in place to alleviate some of those temptations. So perfect example, if you believe at night having a family dinner is important, it's one of your core values, and giving your loved ones, your spouse or significant other or children, your full attention, if you believe they're deserving of it, then a system you can put in place is make sure you don't have your phone at the table. Make sure the TV's not running in the background. And I'm not saying those out of places of judgment. Everyone can have whatever type of dinner they want, but if you want to reduce the chance that you're going to become distracted when you've already decided what's most important, then you need to put some of these guardrails up. And um, to me, uh, I love structure. I love consistency. uh, I love putting systems and processes in place. So for me, I try to to do the heavy lifting before I get there. You know, I try to eliminate any potential distractions before I log on to have a conversation with you so that it'll eliminate the chance that that will actually happen. And then even within this conversation, if I find my mind starting to wander, I wonder what Chase is going to ask me next. Or I start going, man, I could have said something else in my previous answer. Then that's my cue to quickly block those things out. Don't worry about the past or worry about the future in this moment, but get back to being fully present. So that's that's a recalibration exercise, this W-I-N, win, that I use dozens and dozens of times a day.
1: I absolutely love it. And thank you for being willing to sort of go to that depth about your personal practice. Uh, any storytelling or examples that you've seen out there in the world for others like or maybe can you take a picture for us or you know pull the curtain back on what kind of practices that you've seen uh for other elite performers you've talked about the win for yourself is there is there you know meditation habits like what do people um you know my wife is a meditation and mindfulness basically an awareness teacher so i've got this presence in my life and she's like when she is listening it is like it is something i experience very rarely out in the world someone listening as intently as my wife will listen to me which cuts both ways but i i have a great shining example in my life and I find that that shining example, not dissimilar to the past we've talked about, how you you can't be what you can't see. So you see someone out there, and you want to be world-class. I've got this, an, an example right in front of me, which is my wife, Kate. You have just provided a vehicle for us to ha- how to think about it. Any other examples, any other series or sets of practices that you've seen at elite levels that, uh, you know, whether this is Kobe Bryant or a, a player we've never seen or or a uh, an entrepreneur that you've coached it doesn't matter to me i'm just looking for another set of behaviors what are some common threads that you see in our in practicing the ability to be present mindful and aware
0: well i will say that the 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 presence Uh, an impact that Kate has had on you is clearly visible to me because you are a world-class listener. And I've, I've felt that same level of presence from you and your world-class ability to actively listen throughout this conversation. So it's just another shining example of why we should try to invest time with people that have the types of traits that we hope to improve and emulate. You know, we need to put ourselves in the type of rooms where the, the norm in that room is what we aspire to be or, or who we aspire to be. So, you know, kudos to her and kudos to you for, for being able to, to recognize that. Um, yeah, there, there's so many different kind of approaches. And one thing I want to double click on before I answer that, I want to make sure folks know that, that I'm not talking about ignoring the past or the future. Like I believe we should learn from the past. I think there's a time and a place that we deconstruct and we debrief and we look at maybe mistakes that we've made, but it's very rarely that in the moment, that's going to be helpful. So I do believe from learning from the past. I also equally believe in preparing for the future. I believe that the bricks I lay today will determine the wall that I'll have tomorrow. So I want to make sure that I'm designing my future by what it is that I'm doing in the present. I just don't believe in living in either one of those spaces. I believe that most of the time, most of my faculties should be a, what's right in front of me in the present moment, because that's what I have control over. And, and one thought in particular, and this will kind of wrap around to, to some of these practices I've learned. Um, if you really think about it, this may sound strange, but the future is always 100% hypothetical. You know, the, the, there really is no such thing as the future, except in language and except in our minds, because you and I can never be in the future. As soon as we get to the future, it's now the present which means all we really have is the present. Well, if the future is 100% hypothetical, then why don't you guys like you and I tell ourselves stories that serve us well? Like if we're if we're able to just hypothesize on what the future is going to be, why don't we allow our minds to assume that things are going to work out in our favor, assume that things are going to go well? And when they don't, we know we have the emotional skills and tools to deal with it in that moment. But one of the things I see rampant in society Is is this doom and gloom that people just make the assumption that this isn't gonna work? This isn't gonna happen. I'm not gonna make this shot, you know. Oh my gosh, I I got a free throw and the game is tied. There's two seconds left. What happens if I miss? Well, that's just as hypothetical as if you say, What happens if I make it? Both are completely made up. So what I'm trying to rewire myself to do is to to try to hypothesize that the future is going to be bright, that things are going to work out. I'm gonna assume that I'm gonna make that shot not assume that I'm going to miss it. If it's all made up anyway, I might as well tell myself a more favorable story. So that's the other reason that that helps us in that present moment. And that's where a guy like a Stephen Curry, you know, he has what we call a whiteboard memory. You know, he, he whatever was just written on the whiteboard, if he doesn't like it, he can wipe it clean and, and wipe the slate clean and start fresh, which is why a guy like Stephen Curry can miss his first five shots in a game, but he shoots that six shot with the confidence as if he had just made the previous five. He doesn't drag the negative energy or the pessimism of missing five shots into the six, because if he starts dragging that baggage into the present moment, it will detract from his ability to do that. No different than you're a sales professional and your first four proposals or meetings or calls of the day did not go the way you preferred. You you heard four no's in a row. Well, do you have the emotional integrity and the presence of mind to leave that behind you and refocus on that fifth call or that fifth meeting or that fifth proposal? And world-class performers do that. And I see that all of the time. And it's it's something I'm trying to really level up and prove in my own life so that I'm not dragging these things from the past into the future or into the present.
1: Mm, laser beam. Okay, so I, I want to, Oh, gosh, so many different things to go here. I, I've got two places that to me are uh, mysteries for other people. Um, One is around coaching, in particular, sure. and the other is in how to put all this stuff together. It's sort of like how do you row the boat, or how do you build the the thing when you're already rowing the boat, right? How do you uh, build the plane when you're flying? There's all these analogies, and because what someone who might be in a tough spot right now is hearing is like, oh shit, there's so many world class performers. They got all this stuff going on. They got this mindfulness practice and awareness practice. They got goal setting. They're training themselves not to live in the past and not to live in the, there's a thousand things going on. So that's one bucket of things I want to talk about. And the other one is specifically coaching. And I'm going to start with the the second, and then we're going to end with the first. So the second, this, this coaching uh, thing is the value of coaches seems to me wildly misunderstood. and if you think about you're talking about Steph Curry being the best in the world, and you ask the question, "Does Steph Curry have coaches?" Yes is the answer. Not only does he have coaches, he has lots of coaches. arguably, he has nutritionists, he has, you know uh chefs, there are psychologists, there are, you know, f- like uh, trainers there there's like There are coaches for all these different disciplines. And so what people miss is that in order to be great at something, it helps to have accountability, to have people outside yourself, to have coaches, to have uh, peers, to have friends, you know, admirers, co-conspirators. So there's this, this community that we have. I myself, for example, I I used to golf as a young person, took 30 years off, thought the game was goofy, came back to it in COVID. And now I find it's it's not an accident that many of the world's top performers are really avid golfers because the game is really hard. And I got myself a world-class golf coach and it has been transformational. The same could be said for trainer. I've had world-class trainers and that it, it. it comes, there's a perception culturally that that is a weakness. And yet this is sort of this disconnect between what we see on TV and what we actually, you you can understand if you excavate people have coaches if they want to get better. Now, the concept of having a coach sounds expensive. So what would you prescribe to people? Maybe, you know, range of incomes, how valuable do you think coaching is and in what areas of life are coaches, you know, can coaches be helpful? Some of these things that we're talking about right here.
0: Well, I mean, I, I could not double click on what you just said more emphatically. I mean, I've I've grown up and have such a strong respect and admiration for the coaching paradigm, uh, especially because of my, my work in athletics. Um, but, you know, every single human being on the planet, I believe needs a coach of some sort. And And what's interesting is, you know, it's all just comes down to terminology, you know, like in full transparency for the first four decades of my life, I made some pretty poor financial decisions. I had a pretty low financial literacy and I, I finally had the awareness to acknowledge that, that I needed some help and, and I hired a, a financial planner and a wealth advisor, and but I just call him my money coach. Like by definition, he's a financial advisor, but I love the word coach so much. He's my money coach. You know, when I was going through a divorce almost a decade ago and I needed to go in for some therapy, that was my relationship coach. You know, she was a psychologist and a therapist, but I love the word coach because of how it resonates with me. And the reason I say that is if the word coach has a different connotation for one of your listeners, You don't have to use that word. You can call them whatever you want. But the paradigm is important for three specific reasons. One, we need to have high discernment in bringing people into our lives that have the experience and expertise that we don't currently have. You know, this goes back to having an avatar of someone that's 20 years further down the line than you are, you know. Uh, So we need to someone that has experience and expertise that we don't have. Number two, and you just, you hit it on it just a moment ago, we need someone who's going to hold us accountable. You know, accountability is one of the most important parts to improving performance. And then three, we need someone that because of their expertise and their their experience, and because they hold us accountable, they can also give us real-time feedback. Real-time feedback is one of the most important parts of the coaching paradigm. You know, it's one thing for me to read a book as a basketball player on footwork or watch a video it's another thing for me to actually do a drill and have a competent coach standing over me, watching my feet and critiquing my foot position and the angle and the way that I'm moving, and then being able to do enough task specific repetitions for me to actually start to see some improvement. So, for those three reasons, I think everybody needs a coach. And, and you know, I know that as of late, the last 10 to 15 years, we, we've seen this term of life coaching um, come into play. And, and I, I'm under the impression that those folks, are kind of helping folks in a variety of different ways. And I'm not poo-pooing on that by any means. Um, but for me, I have very specific coaches for the very specific areas I want to improve. Uh, I don't play golf other than going to Top Golf with my kids. But I, I can promise you, if I ever decide to take the game up within the first week, I will hire a coach. Now, because this will be my first time playing golf, and it's something I'm brand new to, I probably don't need to hire the same level coach that Tiger Woods uses. I can probably get away with someone that maybe is not quite at that level because I'm not quite at that level yet. But if I were to really, you know, matriculate up and improve, then yeah, maybe the level of coach I'll need will improve. You know, as soon as I decided to leave the basketball training space and become a keynote speaker, I hired a speaking coach. As soon as I decided to write my first book, I hired a writing coach. I told you that after four decades of making bad financial choices, I hired a money coach. You know, when I was feeling depressed and anxious and having issues over a divorce, I, I hired a relationship coach. You know, so to me, I'm always keeping my eyes open to people that have that specific expertise in the area that I want to level up. And yeah, I, I don't know that there is a better investment one can make. Now, one of the things if someone listening is saying, "Hey, uh, I don't have two nickels to rub together right now, but I want a coach," well, then at present. You may have to use some virtual coaching or online coaching or follow the right people on social media or read the right books. I mean, on some level, that's a, a type of coaching. Now, books and videos can't give you the real-time feedback I mentioned, but at least it can give you a start. And then as yeah. you start to progress, maybe you're willing to, to find a way to make more of that investment. But I, I could not believe more in the, the coaching paradigm and the importance it plays in becoming world-class in anything.
1: Absolutely. And that is very, very well said. I would add, uh, the only color I would add there is if you do, you're in that position that you adequately or articulately described, the the don't have two nickels to rub together, you see yourself as that, then there are virtual mentorship is possible, right? This, the idea of becoming a part of a community and what this, I think, you know, boils down to is If you're interested in something, then investing time and energy into building the community of, I will call them people, places, assets around that thing, that area of interest. It's actually fun to do. Like these are like when you follow someone on social media or you become a, you, you subscribe to their newsletter, then you receive that information because they have done things that you haven't done or gone places that you haven't gone or that you desire to go. And this sort of virtual membership is largely free. Yes. And it requires action. I talk about action over intellect. You can't actually learn this stuff or make improvements and changes in your life. If you're not taking action, you don't get to do this shit from the couch. It requires (laughs) that you step onto the court, you know, the metaphorical court, of course. Um, so it's no surprise that you like coaches. You are a coach. Um, what do you, is it, um, do you find that at levels like the Steph Curry, the Kevin Durant level that they are seeking coaches or is, do they just feel like that's a part of the, I won't say baggage. That's just a part of the, the ecosystem that they're in is everybody has coaches or are they actually seeking great coaches? Not just whoever's the coach of the team that they're playing for, for example, uh,
0: they are always seeking. I'll even take it a step further. They crave having people in their life that can still help them get better. Because they also realize when you've gotten to the Stephen Curry or the Kevin Durant level, that that now it's just a matter of progressive, systematic, incremental changes. You know, there's not something Steph Curry or Kevin Durant can do at this point in their career to make a seismic leap in performance, because those guys are almost hitting their heads on the ceiling as it is. So right now, they're looking for any little tiny edge that could give them half a percent of improvement in just one area of their game. Now, when you get to that level, you have to have very high discernment over who you're going to entrust as your coach. You know, I have three children. I have 13-year-old twin sons and 11-year-old daughter, and all three of them are playing youth basketball, and they're, they're decent little players. But let's be honest, there are tens of thousands of coaches or trainers who have enough acumen experience that they could pour into my children. And I say that with a smile, there's only a handful of people on this planet who have the experience and acumen to pour into Kevin Durant and to Steph Curry at this point in their career. So they've really narrowed the pull down because that's how world-class they are. So yes, they are always in searching and craving and looking for people that can help. And they also do that from kind of a holistic view. You know, they don't just say who's someone that can help me improve my shot mechanics. They say, who's someone that can improve my nutrition or my mindset or my, like, there's so many different areas that go into building an elite world-class performer in any area of life that that they're open to looking for that in different areas. And uh, yeah, and I, I think that's the mindset that all of us should have. So as I mentioned with the golf instructor, if I just start playing golf now, I don't necessarily need the best golf instructor on the planet to help me. You know, it's kind of that adage that, you know, in order to help a third grader, you just need to be in fourth grade. It's that same (laughs) kind of concept here. Um, So we can level up over time. And that's what guys like Stephen Curry and and Kevin Durant uh, need to do. I mean, in full admission of, of, you know, the spirit of humility and, and vulnerability, I had a chance to work with KD in high school. Like I met him when he was 15. I was his strength coach in high school. And at that time, I had what he needed to help him improve. If KD called me today and said, Can you be my on-court strength and conditioning coach? He surpassed what I would be able to do to help him at that point. Cause I haven't contributed, you know, continued to matriculate up in that area. I've, I've veered off to do corporate keynote speaking. So, yeah. So he has surpassed my ability to help him. And I'm so glad that he has. And I'm so proud of him for doing that. But even I can acknowledge that in that very specific realm, I don't have what it takes to help certain players that have have you know re- reached that level. So, yeah, we we have to keep our eyes open and we have to have that humility and vulnerability to figure out who is going to be able to add value to our lives and then we have to seek it.
1: Yeah, this this concept of community, I think most people I've used the book uh, in my last book I used the example of Metallica. You see four people on stage. You're like wow well, that was a great show but you don't realize that there was like another you know 150 people behind the scenes making all kinds of stuff happen and it's easy to articulate that point with the you know elite uh, elite performers like the basketball world that we've been speaking about and any extension of that that you can come up with your mind and in an area that inspires you if you're listening or watching right now but the, i think they're a simplified going to your the mantra that is on the wall behind you success simplified is this is just this is a community and so wherever you are in your journey right now if you're listening and watching like how do you you know get near get close to get invested in the areas that you have a lot of passion how can you build a community you might not be able to afford a strength coach but there's someone in your community who is further along than you are in the crossfit community for example that if you go to the workouts at the same days and the same times that they go you're going to learn something from them and so this idea of sort of um showing up in spaces and places where you want to you know be or become the next best version of yourself that is what you can do today go back to the earlier point now like the the world class performers one of their characteristics is like what can i do in the next day the next hour the next week to get better at my craft. I'm wondering if you have something to add to that.
0: Well, I do. Well, one thought that just popped into my mind that's a little bit adjacent to that is never be bashful to reach out to folks. You know, in my mind, the worst they can say is no. And if they say no, you're no further off, you know, you're no worse off than you were before they said that. But, but I want you to be very intentional in how you approach that i'm sure chase at your level um you have folks reach out all the time via social media or other areas and they probably say something to the you know effect of hey i'd love to be able to pick your brain or i'd love to jump on a zoom call and pick your brain or i'd love to take you to lunch and pick your brain and for some reason (laughs) i i've never really liked that terminology and the reason i don't like it is because they're making it about them they're they're doing all of the ask they're not actually adding any value Whereas if, if someone sent you a DM that said something to the effect of, uh, uh, Mr. Jarvis, I just listened to your last 20 episodes and was riveted by the guests that you have. I've taken so many different notes. I have so much admiration for you as a podcast host. I'm just starting out with my podcast. Is there one one suggestion you could make or something like that? There's a better chance that you'd be more likely to, to help them or, you know, and, and, to me it's all about the positioning but it's also this mindset of it's always about adding value you know if take it one step further maybe this person said you know uh uh, mr jarvis i listened to your last 20 episodes they were phenomenal i took great notes i'm a new and young starting out podcast host um i think you may recruit record on zoom but i did some reading that zencaster might even be a better option just wanted to share that in case you find it helpful and also as a, a young aspiring podcast host what's one piece of advice that you think would be most helpful? Like now this person has shown you that they've invested in you and your show. They've given you a tip, which they're hoping adds value to your life. And they're being very pointed in directing and just asking you for one specific thing. You know, they're, they're not taking advantage of saying, Hey, I want to spend an hour with you. Well, of course you (laughs) want to spend an hour with Chase Jarvis, way (laughs) further down the line than you are. But what does he get out of that? Other than maybe he just wants to do it to be nice. So it's all on how we approach. And, and I promise you right now, anyone listening, you find 20 people on social media or online that are further down the line than you are, and you approach them the way that I just shared that, you know, show you're invested in their work and that you've done your homework, add something of value that will make their life better, and then have a very small ask, but something that they'll most likely be open to doing. You do that for 20 people, you'll probably get a pretty decent conversion rate and response rate. And then you can potentially even start to develop a relationship with them over time. And then you can reach out to another 20 people. So so I, I think we should all have the courage to reach out, but let's do it in a very thoughtful, intentional way.
1: I love it. The only thing I'd add to that is showing up in their community for a long period of time, leaving comments and you know adding value I watched all your things I recommended to 20 people I made 10 posts about your last 10 podcasts like okay. that shows me that you actually are in the community and care and that's work that you can do to add value to me without having me be present yeah. so uh I really love your approach there and you know again to the point of building community uh I'm grateful to now have you in my community and it's been a treat to to get to share your wisdom with our listeners and watchers today um couple books, raise the game, uh, and sustain your game. Two books that, uh, you've written. I got a lot of appreciation and admire for we'll link to them in the show notes. If you want more of this information anywhere else, you would steer people to learn a little bit more about you and, or your work here, Dr. Allen. Sure
0: thing there, uh, Chase Jarvis, PhD. This was a lot of fun, my friend. Um, Yeah, my main site, allensteinjr.com, is kind of the hub of everything I have going on. So if anyone listening to this, if you want to hear more on my message or my speaking programs or anything else, just go to allensteinjr.com. And I'm also very accessible and very responsive on social media, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, and I, I guess Twitter now, you know, I guess it's called X. But if folks, if if any part of our conversation today struck a chord, if you have something you want to ask, something you want to share, uh, just shoot me a DM on Instagram or LinkedIn. I'm very good about getting back to people. Um, And yeah, as Chase mentioned, uh, two books, uh, Raise Your Game and Sustain Your Game. You can get those on Amazon or Audible or any major book retailer. Um, But this was a lot of fun, man. Uh, I love your work. You are a brilliant conversationalist. You are a world-class active listener. And I can tell you've gotten in so many reps during the unseen hours to be so good at what you do. So this was so much fun for me, man. Thank you.
1: Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I crave uh, I crave learning and specifically the areas where you are world-class. I'm grateful for your time. Thank you for writing the books and putting the work out there that you do in the world. And uh, from myself, and in anybody out there in the world, if you're trying to get better, this work is important. And Alan's work is something you should really pay attention to. Grateful, sir, for your time. And from both he and I, we bid you a great day. All right, hey, before you go, thanks so much for listening. And if you got value from this show, chances are your community will too, right? In the particular lies the universal please share this link to the show with a friend or mention the show on social. That is a huge benefit for us and hopefully in exchange for providing value to you. I want you to know that I really appreciate your time, the attention, anything that you give to the show and the questions that you ask our guests either on social media or through my text community, all that is pure gold. This community, like any community, is a testament to that old phrase, a rising tide floats all boats. And by elevating one another, by sharing and resharing this show, the tidbits that you learn and the experiences you take away, all of that has a collective, massive, positive impact on the world. So, just a quick thank you. I appreciate all the effort you put into sharing for this show. All right, that's a wrap. Let's put today's episode into practice and get back to growing together.